0: Maybe you're wondering why Pastor Adam's getting these stories all out of order here in the last couple of weeks. We did kind of the aftermath of the wise men's visit to Jesus last week, talking about uh, traveling. And this week, we're kind of reversing uh, back to the wise men, the magi, coming and and visiting um, Jesus and his family. Um, But we're talking more about giving and receiving Gifts, And over this Advent season, we've been taking a look at some practices, some things that are a part of all of our uh, Christmas celebrations. And so we started with waiting as you wait on God or as you wait, that is to serve others, and thinking about how God is also waiting on you. Uh, how God might be waiting on your response, waiting on your cooperation, waiting uh, for you Then we looked at uh, being at the table. Eating with friends and family is a time of growing in relationship with one another as we share these um, intimate experiences, as we sit down at the table across from one another uh, and share food, but share fellowship, share relationship with one another. And in those practices, we recognize that God... Is, is sitting at the table with us in Jesus, God taking on flesh and, and being there with us, living life with us. And so that's what happens at the table. And last week we talked about traveling. As we travel, we have opportunity to contemplate different facets of our travel. Some are on a journey of discovering home. Some in our world are on very tough journeys that are forced on them rather than ones that are chosen. And so we can think about where we are at in our journey towards Jesus. Uh, And so that's what we've kind of been looking at those practices. This morning we'll talk about giving and receiving gifts. Uh, Christmas Eve we'll take a look at uh, our typical manger scenes. And maybe some of you uh, have already put those up. Maybe some of you have traditions about moving people around or introducing people on Christmas Eve. Um, I have some friends, and at this point, the wise men are still on the other side of the room. Um, so they, you know, the wise men are in kind of a slow progression. They're a little late to the story, but that's, that's uh, what their tradition is. So we're going to take a look at giving and receiving gifts this morning. As we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this morning. It's good to be here, and it's good to be uh, celebrating with one another um, as we get closer to this uh, special day of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We look forward to the celebrations. We look forward to uh, spending time with family and friends. We look forward to uh, being together to share meals and relationship with one another. We look forward to all that but we are also looking forward to celebrating life in you. And we can do that on Christmas Day, but we can do that now. We can do that anytime. And so as we uh, talk about these giving and receiving gifts this morning, I pray that you'd be moving in our lives, moving in our hearts. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen giving and receiving gifts. I will start this off by saying this isn't going to be a sermon on uh, commercialism and consumerism. Those are very real issues, very uh, real things that we need to contemplate and and, and think about, Uh, but that is not our theme for today. There's very good reasons why gifts and gift giving have been an important part of the Christmas season for a long time. There's, a, there's an important reason why that is a part of our tradition. And yes, our culture has taken things and twisted them and turned them and, you know, kind of blown them out of proportion. Uh, but gift giving and receiving gifts has been a part of the, the Christmas story really since, you know, back at the beginning. It's not just because the Magi gave gifts. Gift giving would have been a a part of Jesus' life. There were different Jewish celebrations which involved giving and receiving gifts. One of them, uh, the the festival of Purim, uh, which we read about in uh, Esther. Um, And part of the, the guidance for that celebration comes out of Esther 9.19. It says, therefore, the Jews of the village... Uh, who live in the open towns, hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, a holiday on which they send gifts of food to one another. This was a a celebration, a holiday, which commemorated the rescue of the Jewish people from Haman's attempted genocide uh, through the action of Esther. It was a day for feasting and gifts, and so celebrations with feasting and gift-giving would not have been foreign to Jesus. It would have been something that he participated in, that his family participated in, that the the people around him participated in. Gift-giving is not um, an American invention, Um, and so it's something that has been there. When we look at our story, we are working backwards from from last week about the aftermath of the Magi's visit, which resulted in Herod attempting to kill off any potential rival kings, rivals to his throne. And Mary and Joseph end up fleeing for Egypt. And the story of the Magi sets up uh, really an interesting dichotomy in, um, in Matthew. Matthew's whole story is kind of about the spreading of the good news, the spreading of the story of Jesus. And and we can see that kind of encapsulated near the end of Matthew's version, Matthew's uh, telling of the gospel when he gives the Great Commission and he says, go into all the world and preach the good news. Okay? He sends... Sends the the message out to all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so throughout Matthew's version of the story, Matthew is highlighting how this this message is going out. And he's also highlighting how Gentiles, non-Jews, are responding to this story. How they are hearing this story. Those that have been wandering around in the darkness are seeing the light and they are coming to Jesus. They are seeing this. So in our story this morning, we have a group of pagan astrologers. And they are featured as the faithful here early in the life of Jesus. And they are kind of set in contrast to the religious elites who are seen as informants and in cahoots with Herod, who attempts to kill off Jesus. When the the Magi come to Herod and they inquire, Herod has to go to the scribes and and, and the servants of the high priest and find out what these Magi are talking about. Where's this king supposed to be born? Herod knows where he's born. He knows where his children are born. And they don't seem to be interested in that. And so these uh, religious elite are seen in contrast to the faithfulness of the wise men. Now, I want to be careful that you don't uh, misunderstand what I'm about to say here uh, regarding the Magi. Uh, Bible commentator Craig Keener points out that before the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, there is a gift from God in revealing God's self to pagan astrologers where they are looking. They are not looking in the Torah. They are looking to the heavens. Despite uh, prohibitions in the Old Testament against astrology and horoscopes and trying to read the sky and all of that, God shows up where these pagan astrologers are looking and begins to reveal signs. Maybe they end up going to the Torah. Somehow they find out about how this is the the Jewish uh, Messiah. Um, And so they, they start traveling in that direction. But God begins to reveal himself where the wise men are looking. Back in the in the fall, we were talking about the uh, the wild goose chase and the kind of the unexpected nature of God. And I would say this is one of those instances that is it is um, an unpredictable uh, nature of God to show up in a place where pagan astrologers are looking for signs and wonders and trying to figure out what's happening in their world. Uh, when I was in college, we had these. Forums that were called worldview forums, which were uh, typically discussions between maybe one of the professors on campus or a pastor on campus, and and somebody else of a, a different uh, viewpoint. And so, one generally represented a, a Christian point of view, and someone a, another point of view. One of those forums was a conversation between a Buddhist monk. <coughs> excuse me, between a Buddhist monk and a Christian professor. And it was interesting to hear them sharing a lot of um, shared ethics and, and, and some shared, shared values. But near the end, I remember the Christian professor urging his Buddhist friend to continue seeking truth, because in his belief, seeking truth fully would lead to Jesus. And this isn't about all paths lead to the same place. But maybe God can choose to reveal God's self along very different paths that folks are on. This is certainly the story of the Magi. So maybe we do a disservice when we as Christians don't attempt to have some kind of understanding of of faiths and practices that are happening around us least a basic understanding of what others are experiencing and and how they are trying to pursue truth, maybe as they understand it. And we can encourage that um, pursuit of truth. Scripture itself is often in conversation with and in response to religions that surrounded the Hebrews, whether that's, you know, a lot of the Old Testament is in conversation with um, Babylonian practices and religions around them. Um, we see Paul is in conversation with some of the, the Roman Greek pagan practices around him. He, he's aware of some of the things that are happening around him, and he's in conversation with those folks, and so uh, Scripture itself is in conversation with other faith practices around them in the ancient Near East. What an incredible gift then to the Magi for God to show up where they are looking and invite them into the story. Showing up at a place that certainly uh, uh, the the religious elites uh, of the Jewish folks, they would never expect God to show up there. So it's an incredible gift that God is reaching out, inviting the Magi into the story. Back to our story this morning. The Magi see the signs and they respond. They travel to Jerusalem seeking a new king. Apparently they weren't familiar with Herod's propensity for ridding himself of rivals. History tells us of of family members um, whose Murders were ordered by Herod in order to secure his throne. There's a a famous line supposedly attributed to Caesar himself, which said it was better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Not great outlook for Herod's family. The Magi end up at the home, though, of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus as a child. We're talking. I was talking with someone the other week after the service. How how old would Jesus have been? We don't exactly know. We're told that Herod murders all the children two and under. I assume he didn't stop and check for birth certificates in that process. Um, and so, and I'm gonna. Guess that Herod kind of hedged his bets, so you know Jesus is probably somewhere under two, but we're told that they show up and and they're visiting a child in a home. And so it's it's not the it's not the manger scene. I'm sorry to say that. It's not the, the cave or wherever the, the original manger was. But these wise men come. So Jesus was probably you know, one to two years old. So I wonder what that experience would have been like. Would Jesus have been walking when the wise men came? Did Mary have to stop him from putting gold in his mouth or uh, stop knocking over the, the frankincense or stop licking the container of myrrh? You know, I, 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 those are things that I probably would have had to tell my own children. Um, so I imagine that Mary and Jesus that might have been similar. Were the Magi actually sent by the king of Persia to curry favor with a potential new king? Look at gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were expensive, lavish gifts, probably intended to be distributed in a palace, not in a home in Podunk, Bethlehem. These are gifts meant for a king, and I imagine the Magi are expecting a palace. Let me go back for a moment to God's gift. God entering into the story, inviting pagan astrologers, Gentiles, into the story. Matthew highlighting the receptive faith of Gentiles and criticizing the religious elites. And in giving and receiving gifts, you and I are inviting others to the celebration of God entering into the flesh, entering into the human story. Small reminders of God's gift. So when we're giving and when we're receiving gifts, maybe we need to to take that experience and, and think in a deeper way about God's gift to us. You know, when I'm watching my kids open their gifts on Christmas, it's fun to see their faces light up. It's fun to see their reactions most of the time. The, the clothes gets, always gets a little, you know, we give clothes. My parents gave us clothes. I never got excited about the clothes, and sometimes my kids don't. Although Garrett, Garrett tends to get more excited about clothes. I don't It's fun to see their faces light up. And it's exciting to me to see what's in the boxes too, because often it's uh, just as surprising to me to see what we got them, right? (laughs) Maybe some of you, I'll be honest, maybe some of you guys have that experience too. What about God's gift? God gives us himself in Jesus. God's gift, God's grace through faithfulness. What has intrigued me over the last few years is learning a little bit more about gift giving in the ancient Jewish world. Gift giving was a reciprocal activity. That means if I gave you a gift, I expected something in return with a a limited goods society, there was some expectation of you reciprocating that gift in some kind of way. We see this a little bit uh, in the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. Jesus goes to this wedding feast and, and guests would have brought some kind of gift, not unlike weddings today. Some kind of gift was brought. And it was expected that you would receive back a feast, food and drink. You would get that that gift back in in that celebration. And so when the family runs out of wine, that couple is running the risk of being bankrupt and being shamed from the very beginning of their marriage. And so Jesus steps in and rescues them, saves them from shame. Saves them from from being completely bankrupt at the very beginning. God's gift. You know, Greek word is often uh, "charis," which we often translate as "gift." It cannot be earned. There's nothing that we can do to earn that gift where God is obligated because we've done X, Y, and Z. We've accomplished so many good things that now God is obligated to give us something, to give us His grace, to hand us it as some kind of payment. But God's gift does require something of us in return. Paul writes in Ephesians that we are saved by grace through faith, or faithfulness is maybe a better translation of that word. New whole life because of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is God's gift to humanity. This is the good news of God stepping into the human story. Pagan astrologers are invited in. Outcast shepherds are invited in. The whole world is invited in. You and I are invited in. The expectation is that we will respond in faithfulness. We will claim Jesus as Lord and we will uh, try as best we can to live into the way of Jesus. You know, I have this odd expectation of my kids on Christmas after they open their gifts. I expect that they will enjoy the gifts. Maybe not the clothes. Sorry, but I expect that they'll open the gifts, that they'll uh, have fun with them, that they'll use them. That they won't just take them right away and smash them to bits and pieces. I like to at least go 24 hours before any of our Christmas gifts get destroyed in some way. And I get it. Accidents happen. And that's the truth of our, our Christian walk with Jesus, is that accidents happen. We screw up. Things get broken. Church, our response to God's gift is to enjoy God's gift, to enjoy salvation. Our expected response is to try to live into the way of Jesus. It's to, to act as though we appreciate that gift, that we are grateful for that gift. And sure, accidents continue to happen. But we're also told that if we confess our sin, that is our brokenness, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so giving and receiving gifts is meant to be part of a festive celebration of God coming into the flesh. Yes, it's been commercialized and consumerism is an issue, but giving and receiving gifts is at the heart of this celebration. Who are you giving gifts to this season? And which brings you more joy, giving or receiving? And how are you responding to the gift of God in Jesus? How is God revealing God's self in the midst of your story? The story of those around you. Maybe we're not always looking in the right places. Maybe friends, family around you, you see they're not looking in the right places. But maybe God is revealing God's self even in the midst of their story. Even if they're not looking in the right places. Even if they're looking up at the stars. Following the service this morning, I'm going to hang up. Hang out up here following the service. If you've never taken the step of receiving God's gift of grace and love and wholeness, I'd love to talk with you more about that. God's gift of grace and salvation is free. Nothing you can do to earn it. But God's gift does invite us to reciprocate in faithfulness to the reign of God in Jesus. I'm also going to invite you back on Friday night at 7 p.m. for our Christmas Eve service. I know uh, some of you are already going to be involved in the the waiting and the uh, sitting at the table, the eating, the traveling and giving and receiving gifts that night. And so I will wish you a Merry Christmas if I don't get to see you on Christmas Eve. But in the next week or so especially, I want to invite you to go through these practices of waiting, traveling, being at the table, and giving and receiving gifts, and to contemplate Christmas in a very intentional way. Soak in those moments. Soak in those times. Think about how God is moving in your life. Think about how God is birthing something new in your life. Be aware to how God is moving around you in the lives of those that you travel to, that you sit at the table with, in the lives of those that you give and receive gifts from. Be aware of how God is moving in that time. We're going to watch a little video here, just a, a, a way of us kind of thinking more uh, fully about how God is moving in this time. It's also a, a little bit of a prayer of blessing on all of us as we enter into this, this next week or so of really celebrating uh, the Christmas story.